0: Southbridge, thank you so much for coming and uh, worshiping the Lord, Jesus Christ. Together with us every week, we make a big deal about Jesus Christ. And I was just thinking as we were, I was standing there singing that last song, how amazing is God? And he's a trinity, which is we incomprehensible. The Father desires that we make a big deal about the Son by the power of the Spirit. What an amazing thing. And so we come to do God's will, but at the same time, the faith that enters into a relationship with him is simple enough that a child can have it and that God loves each one of us as I told you last week, in case you didn't get the message last week, God loves you. And so I want you to know that. God loves each one of you. Some of you come here with different reasons. Some of you, maybe somebody told you they'd buy you lunch afterwards, or some of you have some questions about God, or whatever reason you're here today, we're glad that each one of you are here. If you're a first-time guest, hello. I want to give you a special welcome and ask you, if you wouldn't mind, as a first-time guest, just making sure you pay a special attention to our worship program, and in there there's a connection card. And we ask you to fill that out the first time that you come to Southbridge, and we ask you to fill it out so that you take it out to the first-time guest kiosk on your way out. Understand it's getting pretty cold out there, all that kind of stuff. It's under the awning. There's a little heater there. So if you get real close to that, turn that in. We'll give you a gift. And so you walk out the front door on your left. We're going to give you a gift in addition to a popcorn box that, Lord willing, you received already on the way in, and you found out it's not just popcorn inside. So we've got some other things that we'd love to give you today. And we'll give a gift to a ministry as well, and you can read about that in your worship program if you'll just take a couple moments and look at that. And the rest of us can look at our worship program as well. And you may notice on the outside, just by looking at that. Uh, that we're starting a new series today. And let me just tell you, today's series is really a continuation of the last series. In the last series, we talked about grace stories. Grace being us receiving what we don't deserve. And now we're looking at a book that really talks about the battle of grace and law. And it seems like they're opposed to one another. And the way that some of these things will get talked about, they're not really. But you can't add one to the other. And that caused incredible problems. And we're talking about the book of Galatians. That's the title of our series, Galatians. Very clever, right? Creativity team came together and we came up with that. Uh, the Galatians is the title of our new series, uh, Grace versus Law. And we're going to continue to talk about us receiving what we don't deserve and how there's a battle in actually internalizing that and trying to add stuff to that. And we're going to continue this series the same way we were doing the other series, where we look at a story of someone's life who was gripped by grace. Someone who was rescued out of rebellion, someone who was rescued out of religion. And I don't know what your story is or what your burdens are as you come in here. We just ask you to give us a few moments and listen to Dale share his story of grace.
1: I come from a large family. I have seven brothers and eight sisters. My father was a pastor in a church in, in Pennsylvania. We were not allowed to go to the doctors, uh, no TV, no radio. Uh, and one thing that always bothered me as a child is, if we were playing outside and our neighbor kids came and start playing with us, we would be called inside because they didn't go to our church. To me, it was it's like, how would you ever, how are we ever supposed to have anybody come to our church? With the part of not being able to go to the doctors and stuff, I was, I guess I was about 13 or 14 years old where I was playing football in a schoolyard. And I went to catch a football and a kid whipped his school bag out underneath my feet. So I fell face first on the concrete and uh, broke my teeth off, even with the gums across the front of my mouth. And um, we were allowed to go to a dentist, but we were not allowed to take any painkillers. If you went to the doctors and you took like, if I took a painkiller, I wasn't putting my trust in God, I was putting my trust in man. So after I saved up enough money to be able to pay for it myself, I went and had the teeth fixed, but I had, him, had to get them pulled, but I, I wasn't allowed to take it because I figured if I took Novocaine, I was, I was going to hell for that. I got baptized only because I thought, again, if I wasn't baptized, and I was, God came that day, I was going to hell. And that's the only reason why I got baptized. I mean, I was asked, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart? And I said I do, and I don't. I don't. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know Jesus. I went from being baptized to walking away from God. You know, just completely <laughs> going the opposite direction. To where after that, I got married. I went through a divorce, which was a tough time in my life. Um, and I went. I went. Started in a path of just. <laughs> one thing after the other with alcohol, sleeping with prostitutes, and you name it, I was doing it. And I thought that I would never be forgiven for that. I had a reading disability my whole life. I mean, since I've been a kid, and that's something that pretty much I held from, from everyone because it was just something you don't tell people. I remember just, I wanted to read like a normal person. So I remember sitting and thinking, well, you know what, I'll, every Sunday morning I'll go to Panera Bread, pick up a newspaper, and just try to improve in my reading, you know? So that's what I did. And then um, one day I was reading through the newspaper and I came across this article about Southbridge. So I, I went home, and I couldn't, all week I just thought about that. And I just kept getting this strong desire to check it out. And the next Sunday morning, I came in. And then week after week, at, you know, hearing God's word through Scott and Jason, my life just started to change. So one night, I picked up the Bible and started to read. And that night, I struggled through it, but I kept picking it back up. And in a very short period of time, God took that away giving my reading disability, I mean, healing me of that. And in a short period of time, I read that Bible from cover to cover. And uh, I never never read a book my whole life. I just wanted to know anything about Jesus, I wanted to pick it up and, you know, read it. There's two sermons that actually Scott preached that always stuck in my head, was the one that he said that if I gave my life to Jesus, that He would turn my life upside down and eventually I did do that and then there was another sermon that Scott preached was about repentance and that was one that really stuck with me too because years ago all I did was I asked God to forgive me and then I would continue in my sin and he was saying how you're supposed to turn away from your sin and that was one of the biggest things that I that really helped me that when God would expose the sin in my life, I turned away from it. And with his help, I mean, he was the one that, that helped me turn away from it. Not, nothing that I did. Because I could have never, the change that has happened in my life, I could never do them on my own. I mean, he's, he has turned my life upside down. And all the things I've done that he, I didn't realize that he still was reaching out to me. And also he used the Bible to, to heal me up a, of my reading disability. And the only other thing I could say is if Southbridge says they're for life change, I think I can be a good example that God is changing people's lives at Southbridge.
0: Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Dale, for your story. What an amazing story, powerful story. God healing him, healing him of his reading disability, pulling him out of rebellion, showing him how big his forgiveness is, rescuing him out of religion. Uh, Dale, we're very thankful for you sharing your story with us as a church family. Dale's a member of our church, part of our setup team. If you want to talk with him, come really early. And uh, Dale would love to meet you. But uh, Dale, thank you so much for your transparency. I'm proud of you, personally proud of you. We're proud of you as a church for being honest, and uh, I want you to know that we love you. So thank you, Dale. And uh, we're going to continue on in the series. Really, one of the things that Paul's talking about in the book of Galatians is people being pulled out of legalism, which becomes not the gospel at all. And so we've already seen a story of that. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the message here. Father God, we come into your presence grateful for your grace, grateful that your grace is greater than all of our sin, grateful that your grace can forgive us, that washes over us. We're so grateful that your grace is free. And we know that it costs your son Jesus greatly, but it's free to us. And we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we love it. And God, we love you, and we want you. And God, I pray for each one of us that come here, some as we hear Dale's story relating to those burdens, and I pray this would be a time to lay down burdens at your feet. And I pray for those of us who have hurts or, or different things along those nature that you'd heal those hurts today. God, I pray for those of us that need to know that you love us. Will you speak your love repeatedly? Will you just use even one word that I say to penetrate a heart today? God, will you please wrap your arms of love and of grace and forgiveness around us? For those of us that are trapped in bondage, will you bring freedom today? God, we know that it's for freedom that you've set us free through your son, Jesus Christ. Please bring freedom. Please show the power of your gospel. Please transform our hearts. Please transform our lives, our minds, everything about us and our culture and our world for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we get started in this series on Galatians, I want to start on a pretty light note. I just want to play a game with you, and it's a word association game, and for those of you who don't know the rules at our church, you're allowed to say stuff to me. So I'm going to say something, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Even if you think it's random and doesn't make any sense, I'll say a word, and then you say the word that comes right to your mind. So I'll say, this is an example, if I say bird, you may say fly, or Larry, or something that pops into your mind at that moment. Sky, nest, tree, whatever it is. Okay, so we're going to play the game. I'm going to say a word you're allowed to talk back to me. Got it? All right, don't, don't turn the filters on too high now, all right? Say something back to me. I'll say a word. The first word that I'll say, don't want you to tell me the first thing you think of. first word that I'll say is Yellow. Blue, somebody said, and green, and big bird. I don't know if I heard different things out there. You got different thoughts coming to your mind? All right, the second word, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say this word, school, bus, class, all right, certain schools, I'm sure. All right, third word I'll say, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word, power, God, God, car, electricity, different little kind of, not real confident in some of your answers. Someone said God, so everybody else has to like calm down, right. (laughs) What was the one that came to your mind for that one? Hold it in your mind for this message. That's where we're going to focus today. Power. What do you think of when I say power? Just hold that thought. I'm not saying there's even a wrong answer, but just hold it. There are so many things for us to think about when we talk about power. We live in a culture that's obsessed with power. Whether it's electricity, whether it's an engine, how fast something goes, whether it's a position of authority someone has, whatever it is, that power is all over the place. In fact, I read an article this week. We talked about the most powerful things in our world. I talked about the most powerful computer in our world, and you probably don't own it. There's only one of them. You, it was you know there's the battle of Mac and PC and all that kind of stuff. I actually lean towards being a Mac guy, but there's a PC that's the most powerful computer in the world. It's made by IBM, and then when they were describing how fast this computer is. They said it can do a million billion calculations per second. <laughs> and I didn't know that was a number. I, I was, At the first service, I was wrestling with whether or not how many zeros that would be. And I started thinking about it I was up here. And then a real dorky guy came up to me after the service, and he said, that's, that's uh, 15 zeros. And he gave me some word I couldn't think of. Dude, <laughs> that's 15 zeros. You know, he started telling me a thing. I a worship pastor, by the way. Jed uh, came up to me and started telling me what this... He goes, everybody knows nano. And then there's Pico. And then he told me that. I was thinking, Pico de Gallo? Anyway, he started telling me this other number. And so this, this huge amount of ability to calculate stuff this computer has. What power? When they tried to put it into like lay terms, uh, people like me could understand. They said, if you gave 6 billion people... So I can't grasp that. That's like everyone in the world, right? Six billion. If you gave 6 billion people armed with a calculator and told them to do calculations for the next 50 years... That's what that computer can do in one day. Crazy amount of power. This article talked about the hydrogen bomb being the, the most powerful weapon that's ever been created by people. It was created in the Soviet Union in the 60s, and they actually detonated it on a little island I couldn't pronounce again if I wanted to in the Arctic Ocean. And what they said was that it could actually vaporize everything within a 40 mile radius. That's power. They talked about the most powerful engine on the earth. They talked about the most powerful hot sauce. I know some of you like wings, <laughs> the w- wings that are out there, and I don't know what sauces you've tried, you know, the plus tens at Firehouse and all that different kinds of stuff. This sauce, they said, was 10 times hotter than any jalapenos. It would burn your hand. <laughs> what do you think that does to the inside of your body, just as you think about these things? But anyway, the hottest sauce, that's power. They talked about the most powerful poison. Some of you, you might know what Botox is. If so, don't raise your hand. Uh, but the Botox, uh, the people that are laughing, they know. Uh, Botox is a, a beauty treatment that's real popular in Hollywood. And my understanding is they do an injection in your face and you look different afterwards, better, or you look better. It takes away the wrinkles, apparently, afterwards. In the Botox, some people might not realize this, there's a bacteria. They say a gram of it could kill a million people. And we shoot it in our face, which is kind of a commentary on our society. But at any rate, it's powerful. You think about all the powerful stuff that's out there. Powerful positions, whether it's a company CEO or a president or a dictator. You think about parents. Have you thought about parents when you think about powerful people? Think about how powerful a parent is. In your life, there was a time when if you didn't have your parent, you would have died. You needed food. You needed water. And you're so dependent on them. And they shape our personality in so many different ways. parents have power. Now, as a parent, sometimes I question whether I have any power, like when we have vegetables for dinner and can't get them to eat them. But there's times when it dawns on me how much power I have as a parent. This week, it was Thursday, I was strolling through the house and my daughter was, our oldest daughter, Ella, was at the table, she was drawing a picture and I just said some passing words. I said, Ella, you're such a sweet girl. And she stopped and said back to me, Dad, I love when you talk to me that way. I realized in that moment, the power of words, the power of my position as a father. Think about words have power, don't they? computers, there's power in those. There's power in engines. There's power in weapons. There's power in sauces. There's power in positions. There's power in all kinds of things. There's power in the internet. Think about social media, how much power there is in Facebook and in Twitter, and there's things you've never even heard of until the name comes out on, you know, I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but Jeremy Lin. Who knew who that guy was until a couple weeks ago? It just comes out that there's power in that stuff. There's all kinds of things that could have come to your mind when I asked you to think of the first thing that came to your mind when I said power. So what was it? Did any of you think of this word? Gospel. And if not, why not? And maybe it's because I distracted you with the yellow and school and such complex concepts. I understand you'd, you'd kind of get off on all that stuff. Or, or maybe it's because to us, gospel is not power. Maybe the gospel, we've done something to it or something's happened or maybe it's just part of our past and it's lost its power. This is interesting when you consider we just saw a story of a guy whose life was radically transformed by the power of the gospel of grace. We go to a church where we say our mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ so their lives will be changed. That's something we can't do. The Holy Spirit has to do a work in someone's heart and the life. What power that is. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation or for the salvation of all who believe. It's power. So why doesn't it come up as the first thing that pops into our mind? Or the third? Or the fifth? Or the eighth? Or the tenth. Why, why doesn't gospel come to our mind when we think of power? Is it because the gospel's lost its power? Has the gospel, have we done something to the gospel and it's lost its power in our culture? Have we done something to the gospel and the gospel has lost its power in our churches? Have we done something to the gospel and it's actually lost its power in our own lives? Today we're going to talk about gospel. Powerful or powerless? And we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a bunch over by the offering box over there. You just grab it, they're free. We'd love for you to be able to see what's happening here. But we're starting in verse 1. Let me tell you the context for Galatians. We oftentimes call it the book of Galatians, it's actually a letter. And it's a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. We met Paul in our last series in Grace Stories when we were in Acts chapter 9, only his name was Saul. And he was a guy who wanted Christians to be killed. And his life was so radically transformed by the power of the gospel that now he wants everyone to become a Christian. And Paul, who was formerly Saul, now goes out and he becomes the most powerful missionary in human history. The most effective evangelist, the greatest church planter ever. And one of the places he goes is this region, this province called Galatia. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. And essentially what happens in Acts 13 and 14, a bunch of bad stuff happens to Paul. But in the process, he preaches the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And many people believe. And churches are started. And one of the churches that was started was this church in Galatia. But the problem is they taint the gospel. And get this, real scandalous, with good works. And Paul gets ticked. Because he sees Satan at work. You see, the most dangerous time for some people when they come into the kingdom of God is when they first trust Jesus. We get people that trust Jesus Christ as their Savior at our church on a regular basis. I've recently been given two reports of people that trusted Jesus and then the attack becomes so incredible. I remember my own story, the, some of the greatest temptation of my life coming right after trusting Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual battle for your soul and you have an enemy who wants to steal from you and kill you and destroy you. And that's what's happening to these Galatian believers they're new believers but then some other people have come along we'll call them Judaizers because they're trying to teach some Jewish customs on top of Christianity they're adding to the gospel and what they're adding is good works things like circumcision things like observing certain holidays and celebrating certain types of things that'll happen on the calendar it'd be the equivalent of us saying you know feeding people and giving clean drinking water and doing nice things for folks that's what's needed in order for God to be happy with you and Paul says no way it's the gospel of grace. Look at it. He's pretty angry when he starts writing here in Galatians chapter 1. He's defending himself at the beginning, Paul, an apostle, because the people, these false teachers, the Judaizers, the ones that were teaching good deeds were necessary for salvation. They attacked not only Paul's message, but they attacked him as the messenger and said he wasn't an apostle because he wasn't one of the 12. But he's referring to here his Damascus Road experience in Acts chapter 9. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ himself and, and God the Father. And that's a God who has incredible power, he says in verse 2, who, who raised him from the dead. And he's speaking on behalf of not only God the Father and Jesus Christ, but all the brothers that were with him. See, when Paul went and planted these churches, he had people that were on his team. He wasn't all by himself. And all these people had heard the message of the gospel from various folks that were on his team And he says, they all agree with me with what I'm about to say to you, Galatians, to the churches in Galatia, multiple churches that were started in Galatia, grace and peace to you from our Lord, from our God and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the gospel, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, uh, according to the will, the desire of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. And then at the point of the letter where he normally says to other churches how thankful he is for them, he says this, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. This isn't good news. This is bad news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And Then he gives some situations here. But even if we, that's Paul himself, those other brothers that were with him and trying to plant these churches and loving on these people, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned the worst punishment possible. And then he says it again, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is currently, not just hypothetical, is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. That's sent to hell. This is serious stuff. And this isn't gross immorality. These are good deeds that are being added here, but when these good deeds get added to the gospel, what happens is it's no longer the gospel. It becomes powerless. See, the gospel is powerful in its purity in its simple form of just the gospel. And in its purity, the gospel has the power to change us, to change our lives. In its pure form, in its simple form, in the purity of the gospel, it has the power to change our lives. And we've seen that over and over again here at this church. But you know what happens sometimes? We add stuff to the gospel. Sometimes we want to make it seem less offensive, or sometimes we want to make it more palatable or more applicable, or sometimes we want it to work better with our lives. And so what we do is we add stuff to it. It's kind of like, you ever had a good meal, and it would be really good, but then you put too much salt on it, or you did something to it, and it was was good before, and then you did something to add to it, and you screwed it all up. I was thinking about that this week, and I remember when I was living in Dallas, Texas, my wife would work, and she worked as a nurse, and so a lot of times at dinner time, I'd be responsible to cook the meal, which was a very scary thing, and so what I did is I became good friends with several of our neighbors, and uh, one of our neighbors invited me over one day. He's a Latino gentleman, so I thought, he can cook, you know, some Mexican food. I want, I want to eat what he makes that. I don't want him to invite me over for turkey, and so he can say whatever you want. He and I were friends enough that so we joke around about this stuff. He brings me into his house. He says, I made some tacos today. I said, oh, that's great. We're that. He said, well, the meat's on the stove. Tortilla's right next to it. Just put the meat in there. And I t- made the little taco up that he had, put together, he had made. I put it together. And I took a bite. I was like, man, that's a good taco. You ever had food like that where it's just like, this, why is this so much better than mine? And I, and I bit it, I ate into it a little bit more. And, and I said, what'd you put in this? He goes, meat. Well, yeah, I know there's meat in here. Thanks, you're genius. He's a friend, but anyway, I, I said, "What kind of meat?" He goes, "Meat." I said, "What'd you put on the meat?" He said, "It's just meat, Scott." <laughs> See, at my house, what I was doing is I was buying those little packets. You can get a Harris Teeter or Lowe's or whatever. Little seasoning things like Taco Bell labels on them or whatever. And my tacos were terrible. <laughs> I'd make these tacos up, and I thought it was my problem. I was put, I was adding the wrong stuff. I was messing them all up. This guy, it was literally just meat. It was good. See, what's happened here in Galatia with the gospel is that they've tainted it because they've added something to it. And the gospel in its pure form is incredibly powerful. And that's what Paul wants these Galatians to realize. And so what are we even talking about when we say gospel? He mentions that word three times in these verses. What is the gospel? Well, very simply, the gospel just means this, good news. That's all the word means, good news. In fact, contextually, the way that it was used when when Paul's using it here was it was oftentimes used in emperor worship. Uh, The king, when he would have something good happen, some good news about himself or something happen in his family, the emperor would send out a herald to go and declare the good news to people. And so he'd declare gospel, and they'd say things like, a son's been born to the king. That was gospel. And here Paul's talking about, though, not just emperor news and not just general good news, like it's going to be sunny tomorrow or any of that kind of stuff. What he's talking about here is that the king of kings has a message for humanity. The Lord of lords, his son has been born, like when the angel declares to the shepherds. For behold, fear not, I bring good news gospel of great joy, which will be for all people. And it's a message of peace on whom God's grace rests, his favor rests. But see, there's confusion here because something's been added to the gospel. So the gospel is a message of grace. And there's some facts of the gospel that are important. Paul talks about those. He mentions them in our passage in Galatians here. In verse 2, he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 4, he talks about the death of Jesus. Those are key facts. In fact, he lays it out very clearly. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He's speaking to the Corinthian believers there. and He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. They know the gospel has changed their life, but I want to remind you what I preached to you. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you've taken your stand. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. Verse 3. Here's the gospel. For what I received from Jesus Christ himself, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Those prophesied in the prophet Isaiah. And that he was buried. And not only was he buried, but that he raised again. On the third day, he was risen from the dead and he offers life. And those are the facts of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Those are the facts. See, the gospel doesn't change you because you believe the facts. Satan himself believes the facts. They're historical facts, they're proven facts. There were over 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. It's factual, historical, factual history. What changes you is when you place your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Your whole life, everything is surrendered to him, where you come to the cross and you receive the gift that's offered to you. We defined grace in our last series by saying it's when you are given something you don't deserve. And maybe you remember there was a verse that I kept quoting. It was Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages, what we earn is death. That's separation from God. That's condemnation from God. That's punishment from God. That's guilt. That's all those things. That's what we deserve. That's what we earn. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what God does is he offers us a gift of grace and we receive it by faith, and it's that faith is in Jesus Christ. See, Paul talks about that when he makes the gospel so abundantly clear that works aren't supposed to be a part of it. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not your works. It's a gift from God. And the reason why it's not your works is because you can't add to the cross. Because when you add to the cross, you take away from the cross. When you add to the cross, you're saying what Jesus did wasn't sufficient. I must add some things to that. And that's what the Galatians were doing here. And that's what Paul's warning them about. He's saying, here's the gospel. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. There's a simple definition for you. It's a gift that's given to you by grace alone, not because of anything you've done. You don't deserve it. You receive it through faith alone, not with any works and that faith, it's not just believing in something, it's in Jesus Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that is the gospel. And that gospel has incredible power. And Paul talks about it even in verse 2 when he mentions one of the facts. Or in verse 1, second part of verse 1. He talks about that he's sent from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's power. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Think about the power that Jesus demonstrated in his earthly ministry. Can you imagine being there when some of the stories took place and, you know, he heals blind eyes or feeds 5,000 people or heals a leper? Can you imagine if you had like a demon-possessed, you know, child or spouse or, <laughs> or parent or whatever type deal? Can you imagine that? And you go to all the doctors and try and get that fixed. They couldn't fix it. You try all the whatever, you know, newest medication, whatever type of stuff, you couldn't fix it. And then Jesus Christ casts out a demon? That's Power. But there's no power quite like when he raises people from the dead. Think about in Luke chapter 7. There's a woman coming out of a town. It's a funeral procession. Her only son has died, and Jesus sees it. And his heart goes out to this woman because she's a widow, and her only son has just died. Can you imagine carrying that coffin along? And then Jesus comes walking up. He touches the coffin, says to the kid, get up. And the kid sits up and starts talking. (laughs) Can you imagine if you were carrying a coffin and the person inside the coffin sat up and started talking to you? That'd mess you up, okay? If you didn't think about that, that'd be hard. That's power. Or in John chapter 11, when Jesus raises his own friend Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. When he shows up, both of his sisters, both Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, both say the same thing. If you had been here, you could have stopped this, as if circumstances stopped Jesus. (laughs) He's already raised people from the dead. And he says, show me where the tomb's at. Goes to the tomb, I got this. You know, it's been there for 40. Martha's like, he's gonna the body's decaying. He didn't have Botox, you know, it's rotting. So yeah, any anyway, rate, yeah. Two people got that one. But uh so he says, Lazarus, come out, raises Lazarus from the dead. Then the religious leaders, they want to kill him. No one's seen power like this. But his own resurrection, well, that's different. That's a whole different level. And God the Father calls him out of the grave. And he's raised. That's power. You don't think the gospel should have power? Does the gospel have power in your life? Not just to save you, but to change you now. Because the gospel is supposed to be not only saving us, but changing us, transforming us now. See, the gospel in its purity has the power to change. And that's what we see if you jump down to verse 4, when we see the gospel clearly stated. In verse 3, talking about Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself, that's love. That's what we talked about last week. For God so loved the world, that's every human being that's ever been created, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes would have eternal life. Jesus Christ, he gave himself. No one took his life. He laid it down. He gave his life for you. And if you didn't get this last week, God loves you. And he did that. He gave his life to pay for your sins on the cross as a uh, atonement, as a substitution for you. Somebody had to die on the cross. Either you or Jesus has to pay for those sins. Either you have to pay for it in hell for all of eternity or Jesus dies on the cross to pay for your sins. You have to decide. And that's the beginning of the gospel. But then notice the verse says this, to rescue us from this evil, this present evil age. That word rescue is an interesting word there. It gives the idea of being delivered from danger. And most of us don't even realize we're in danger, do we? Because we forget about the battle that's taking place around us. And what we're being rescued from, look at the verse, from this evil age. It doesn't mean, this was written about 50 A.D., by the way. It doesn't mean that you're pulled, you know, trust Jesus as your Savior and you automatically go to heaven. You're being rescued not from a time period. You're being rescued from a system, from an evil system that's taking place here on this earth. It's the battle for your soul, the enemy, the leader of the system, wants to steal from you, wants to kill you, wants to destroy you. And so wants to silently keep you into the system. And so what happens for many of us is we get lulled to sleep and don't even realize we're in bondage to a system. It's like one of our strategic partners I was emailing with recently from Women at Risk International. It's a ministry that we partner with through the connection cards. If you fill out your connection card, we make a donation to that ministry. What they do is they actually try to rescue oftentimes women and children out of bondage. That Oftentimes they're in bondage because of the system they've been born into. They haven't made even decisions that have caused these problems, many of them. Many of them are held against their will. Sometimes their parents are responsible for the reason why they're in brothels and people are doing terrible stuff to them. And we think about this as like it only happens around the world. There's 80 brothels here in Raleigh, in case you wondered. And they go to places in the States and around the world and they try to rescue these women and these children out of these brothels. We got one email from her back in September. They had just rescued six girls and said, pray for these girls. Had just rescued six of them. Two of them had come to know Jesus Christ as their savior, so truly delivered. It was amazing praise. And then Becky McDonald, the leader of this ministry, was telling us, you pray for some other girls because they were in real difficult circumstances and the circumstances they were in, their mom was basically keeping them in. Mom was trying to force them to work at the red light district. They're 12, 14 years old. And when the things started to happen, come together, the trafficker that was in charge of this, and there was a trial over this because of people's involvement trying to rescue them out of it. In the court case, they ended up finding out that the trafficker had actually been paying a high-ranking government official to look the other way while this took place. He was getting a couple thousand dollars a month, and they were making way more on these girls. And the guy that was the high-government official... He was in charge of the anti-human trafficking laws. So they're in this system. And there are people that are trying to rescue them out of this bondage. You realize that we're in a a system, an evil world system. And God's rescuing us out of that. So we won't be conformed to this world, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we won't live according to this place, but we'll live as citizens of heaven that are aliens in this land. That we can be the light for God because we're rescued out of that and can live differently and still be in the same place. That's what God's doing with us, and think about it: how we're in bondage, and, and forget about bondage to drugs and alcohol and sex and money and all that stuff. I think we all agree that can be bondage. The debts, bondage, and sexual sins can be bondage, and alcohol, all that kind of stuff can be bondage. Forget all that. Just think about in general cultural pressures. Think about the pressure there is on women, guys, and women. Maybe you could just affirm this to the people that are around you. Do you ever go through the supermarket and you see the pictures of women? on uh, the grocery store magazines that are all airbrushed up and, you know, they have, all the hairs are plucked and tummies are tucked and all that kind of stuff's all done. That's the expectation for women in our society. And they're supposed to be able to do everything, too. You know, super mom and work a bunch and the kids are all well-behaved and all that kind of stuff. That, that's the expectation. Have fun with that. And guys, do you know the expectations on you? You're supposed to be Mr. Everything. So you conquer the world at work and you come home, you better be emotionally, totally engaged with your spouse and plan some good vacations and have a good retirement as well. And so you got to have enough money for security. And so climb those mountains at work, take care of everything here and make sure everybody's needs are met. And sometimes you cry and sometimes you're supposed to be strong, but no one tells you when. So you're supposed to be like, just (laughs) no. Have fun with that one. I'm not. That's our culture. Now, let me just throw on top of that. Say you go to church. And say you go to church and it's not really a community of grace, but instead you come and maybe like the gal that shared her testimony last week, you feel like if they really knew, I'm so unworthy of God's love. Maybe you got some stuff like all of us. And so you don't want people to know. So what do you do? You lie. You fake it. You just don't talk about it. You put on a mask. And guess who has you right where they want you? The father of lies. Who wants to steal from you. Who wants to kill you. Who wants to destroy you. Ever feel like you can't measure up? You'll never measure up? Let me tell you something, you won't. I was watching Kevin Costner give a eulogy speech at eulogizing Whitney Houston yesterday. You've obviously probably seen stuff that happened with Whitney Houston, she died. He was talking about, she wondered if she'd be good enough, if she was pretty enough, if people liked her. Are you kidding me? Like you're an American icon, do people like you? So you never measure up. It doesn't matter what mountain you climb, guys. There's a higher one on the other side. You'll see it as soon as you get to the top of the one you're climbing right now. It doesn't matter, ladies, how perfect you think you get to become. It'll never be good enough. You'll never measure up. We all have stuff. And we start saying, you got to be good enough for God too? His standard is perfection. Be holy as I am holy. You can't. So you need someone else's perfection. It's Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It gets imputed upon you. It gets put on you. And you become seen as Jesus Christ when you receive the gospel. But it doesn't just save you. It continues to change you as you continue to trust by faith alone and Christ alone. You continue to trust him. It continues to change all of your life. And here's the good news. Every time you see someone come into contact with the true gospel, the gospel of grace, you see transformation. Think about it in the scriptures. Disciples, pick the different disciples and their different backgrounds. Talk about a tax collector last week. Tax collector goes from being the most despised person to being the closest person with God's son. (laughs) You talk about the business owners that leave their nets and they're fishing. They've got a business, they're striving for success and doing their thing. They end up becoming world changers by leaving those things and following Jesus Christ. Come into contact with his grace. Political zealots, Simon the Zealot, they're zealots that are trying to overthrow a Roman government. Who cares about Rome 2,000 years later? but because of what they did following Jesus Christ, they've impacted our lives. So he got transformed those men, transformed a guy like Saul in Acts chapter nine, becomes the greatest missionary ever. We're talking about his letter today. Transformed, you think about in Acts chapter two. What about those folks? Remember the pressure that's under uh, Rome, 80 to 90% taxation in some cases. So you got to be able to keep up with the government. You got to provide for your family. You got the pressures there. There's social pressures in the community. Keeping up with the Joneses has always been a thing. And you also have not only that, But you've got religious leaders that got way more rules than we could ever fathom. And you're never good enough for that, neither are the leaders. Put all that pressure on, and then somebody like Peter preaches a gospel of grace. Listen, you killed Jesus, but he still loves you. And he's going to use that to redeem you and rescue you out of that. And one day, 3,000 people come to Jesus and ask two. And then you see a transformed community because it's not just that they got their eternal destiny shored up. Now they're gathering around. They're talking about this gospel of grace on a regular basis. They're praying together and they actually believe the stuff they're praying could happen. And they're not striving for their own goals. Instead, they're caring for one another. Their community is transformed. Because it's no longer about this place. They've been rescued from an evil age a system. And they can live according to a different system in the same place. And we see it still happening here. We see it at our church. We got a banner out in the lobby. We brought up in front of the message last week of people that didn't just get saved by grace but are being changed by grace. Multiple ways, being changed by grace. You heard Dale's story today. Rescued out of religion, rescued from rebellion, now in a relationship with God, physically being healed, mentally being healed of of a reading disorder. So it's real tangible stuff here too. And saved from his sin. Like you can't even put something on that. He thought he was too bad. He's not too bad for God. Nobody's too bad for God. God loves the world. (laughs) So he's transforming lives. Last Sunday, we had people trust Jesus Christ in our service. Amazing. One person raised their hand, one person checked a card. All of heaven rejoices over that, but it doesn't stop there. And you start to survey the church, and you see lives being changed all over the place, whether it's in the community groups, Celebrate Recovery. I got a report this week of several people walking in new freedom, and they shared, those individual people said I could share their stories. One of them was a guy named Jim, not the leader of the ministry, but a guy named Jim that had been struggling with sexual sin for the last three years. And by struggling, I don't just mean that he had a sexual addiction. I mean, that he was trying to come out of it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for the last six months, he's been walking in freedom because he's now meeting with a community of grace. See, so when you come into contact with the gospel of grace, it changes things. Because the pure gospel has the power to change our lives. And so the question is, is your life being changed? Or have you done something to the gospel where it's lost its power? See, when the gospel's polluted, it's powerless. It's impotent. It has no power. When the gospel becomes polluted, it becomes powerless. It's like if I were to say to you and just imagine with me, you were dying of thirst, literally. Say you were out, you know, exercising, working hard all week, and then there was a water shortage in Raleigh for whatever reason. You come to our church, we give out these little water bottles, and uh, that's great. I think it's generous of our hospitality team to do so. But you came here and there was only one this week. And I had it. And I said to you, you can have this. It's a gift. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you this water today for you to drink. And you'd want to come and get it, I'm sure. Because if you actually had a physical need, and water gives life, right? You had a physical need for water. And you knew you were going to die if you didn't get some water. And I offered it to you. Wouldn't you want it? But what if I said to you, I'm just going to take a little Botox bacteria here. And uh, I'm going to drop it in the water, just a little bit. I mean, it's still like 99% water, right? You want it? It's still majority water. It's just a little bit of poison. Don't you want it? And see, what happens when we pollute the gospel? It's not the gospel anymore. It's powerless. And not only is it powerless, it's poisonous that's what Paul says here in this spot in the letter where he would normally say how thankful he is when he's writing to people like the Corinthians. Do you know what the Corinthians' problem was? They were incredibly immoral. People were getting drunk at communion. There were people that were shacking up with dad's girlfriend or stepmom or mom or something. There's a guy that was sleeping with his stepmom. And everybody was cool with it. And even in that letter, Paul says, I'm so thankful for you. But he doesn't say that to the Galatians. And the Galatians, you know what their problem is? They're adding good works to the gospel. And so Paul says this in verse 6. I am astonished. I marvel at. I'm in wonder over the fact that you are so quickly, new believers, so quickly deserting, not the gospel. Notice what the verse says. Just so quickly deserting the one who called you. It's not a belief system we're talking about here. This isn't whether or not you're Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Christian. This is, you're deserting the one who called you. You're turning your back on God when you try to add stuff to the gospel. This word for desertion, it's actually an incredibly intense word. It's a military word. It's to give the idea of turning your back on your own. It's a traitor, a turncoat. Some of you, you fought in the war before. Vietnam, maybe some of you. Desert storm. Maybe recently back from Afghanistan, Iraq. Can you imagine, those of you who actually know, just those of you who actually know, can you imagine, you know what it's like to be in the crossfire, the bolts are flying, people's lives are being lost? Could you imagine if one of your own, you're fighting, and one of your own actually got up, crossed the battle lines, and turned their back on you, and started to fire on you? How would you feel? See, Paul, this is grace, yes, but this is intense, Because this is serious. And he knows, like Ephesians chapter 6 says, we're in a battle. And it might not be bullets. It's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a battle of principalities. It's a battle of darkness. It's a battle in this evil age. And what's at stake? Everything. Not just your eternal destiny. God's glory. The very reason why you were created. The enemy wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And Paul realizes this. He says, you're deserting the one who called you. By changing the gospel. By turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. This is not good news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. And the gospel is not a gospel of confusion. It's a gospel of peace. My peace I give you, Jesus says. Peace be with you after his resurrection. Fruit of the Spirit is peace. It's a gospel of peace. It's not confusing. It's simple. So simple a child can get It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But we try to add to it. And we pervert and distort The gospel. My perversion, what he's talking here, is you actually reverse it. You change it into something it was never meant to be. And that's what many of us do. You see it in churches. You see people preaching the gospel that's not really the gospel. Prosperity gospel, where we make Jesus somebody that's supposed to help us out financially, like he's a financial planner. He was a carpenter who had no place to lay his head, just FYI. But if you follow him really closely, then you'll be financially blessed. (laughs) Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It's not the gospel, and it has no power. We've got the gospel of self-improvement. It's really self-discipline. Not bad. Didn't diet, workout, it's great. It's not the gospel. we have got the gospel of family. See, anything that is false gospel, what they do is they decentralize Jesus, and there's really no need for the Holy Spirit. The gospel of family is when family becomes most important, when that becomes central, or when self-improvement becomes most important, your financial gain becomes most important, your health becomes most important, your church preach this stuff all the time gospel of family, some people won't like that. I'm stepping on some toes at our church. When family becomes the central thing, you know what happens? Jesus is no longer central. And the Holy Spirit's not really needed. I mean, you can sprinkle some Jesus in there and throw some verses on it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is by grace alone. It's a gift that's given to you through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And anything else is not the gospel. And we start adding those things to being the central thing. It decentralizes Jesus. The Holy Spirit's no longer necessary. And that's what we do corporately as churches. Well, what about individually? I doubt most of you are false teachers, probably not coming to people like, say, the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. What you believe is good, but there's just a little bit more that we need to add to it. That's what the Galatians were doing. That's what was happening to the Galatians, the Judaizers. What Paul said to you, it was really good, by grace, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, but there's a few other things. There's just, if you really want the complete gospel, if you want to fully experience God, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to do these good works. And you know what? We probably don't say those exact things. But what do we do as individuals? Well, some of us. Do you ever think to yourself? Maybe last week I say to you, "God loves you," and you think to yourself, "He'd really love me if I." He'd really love me if I was a better mom. He'd really love me if I was a better dad. He'd really love me if I would stop. And he'd really love me if I would start. If I did this ministry. If I became a pastor. If I and you fill in the blank with different stuff. You know what you're doing. You're adding to the gospel. It's not true. God doesn't love you because anything about you. It's grace. You don't deserve it. And it shows you don't get grace when you start adding stuff to it. And what you have, polluted. It's not really the gospel. And when you pollute the gospel, it loses its power. And so my question for you today is simple. You talk about at the beginning, when you think of power, what do you think of? Who cares what comes to your mind? When you look at your life, what has power in your life? Is it the gospel or is it anything else? And when you say gospel, do you really mean the gospel? Or do you just mean some like spiritualized stuff or some good works that you've added in there or some different things, in which case you don't really have the gospel? And there's no wonder it's powerless. And what we need to do today is we need to spend some time repenting. We repent on behalf of our nation. We repent on behalf of our church. And some of us need to repent on behalf of our individual lives. And what repentance is, is, like Dale said in his story, is when you turn from the very thing that's causing you the problem, that's separating, that's causing you to turn your back on God. And so you stop, you recognize it, and then you turn from it, and you turn back to him. See what was happening with these Galatians. They were deserting God. But it's in the present tense there. It's a process that's happening. It's not done, or else he wouldn't even need to write this letter. They're in the process of turning their back on God. And he's saying, it's not too late for you. You come back. Come back to the gospel. The gospel is the power. The gospel that saved you has the power to change you. Don't turn your back on that gospel. It's the very thing that will transform your life. And so what we're going to do is just bow our heads, close our eyes. And I want you to ask God a couple questions individually and I'll, I'll lead us in those questions to start. What is the gospel powerful or powerless in our culture, in our churches, and in our lives? It's a question for you to ask. Is, is the gospel powerful? And I think in our country we're so confused. We don't know what that means. But in our churches, in this church, and what about in your life? And if the answer is no, if the gospel's lost its power in your life, then there's a second question, and the second question is this. Why? And ask God to speak to you the answer. If the gospel's lost its power in your life, why? Is it because of sin? Maybe it's more like Corinth, and there's some sin that needs to be dealt with. Repent of that. Maybe it's more like Galatia, where what you've added is good stuff. I mean, it's not even bad things, but it's taking away from the gospel, and you've polluted the gospel. In which case, repent of that because it's causing you to turn your back on God and turn back to Him. Father God, we come before you in a a humble spirit of repentance. God, will you turn us back to you? I'm just going to give you a few moments to talk to the Lord yourself. I'll come back and conclude our time of repentance. Father God, we come into your presence just humbled by the fact that you would give us something we don't deserve. And on behalf of our country, we repent. We turn to you and we ask you for you turning us to you as a country. I don't know if we've ever been there, but we turn to you for the first time. I pray, God, that you would do something in our, our country, that you, in our world that would transform the way that we do life, that we would be about your glory. You'd bring us to repentance. You'd show us the gospel of grace so clearly and we turn to you. I pray for churches. I pray for our church. If we've ever done anything to water down the gospel, if we've ever done anything to add to the gospel, God, we repent. We are sorry. We want it to be about you. We want it to be about your glory. And God, I pray for us as individuals. I pray if there's an individual here that needs to come to grips with your gospel today for the first time, and they place their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. They know the facts of the gospel that your son Jesus died on the cross for the sins They he rose again, but I pray that they place their trust in that, in that work that your son Jesus has done on the cross, and they would receive the gift that you're offering them of life. If you want to trust Jesus today, you can do that by acknowledging your sin to him and asking Jesus to be your savior. Father God, I pray for those of us who've trusted your son Jesus Christ but have tainted the gospel, have changed the gospel, maybe in an attempt to apply it to our own lives in a different way or maybe even with good intentions, but we've made it lose its power, I pray that we turn back to you and we come to grips with what your grace really is and we wouldn't try to add our own stuff to it. And Father God, we're sorry when we've done that. And we turn to you. And we're so thankful that you take us back every time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.